Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on all things ophthalmology brought to you by Mayo Clinic. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea Tooley. And I'm Dr. Eric Bothan. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest in ophthalmology, medicine, and more. In today's episode, we are joined by comprehensive ophthalmologist, Dr. Steve Beatty, who has spent much of his career serving and teaching in Zimbabwe. Dr. Beatty will share his perspective on the joys, tips, challenges, and pitfalls within international ophthalmology. It is an honor to introduce a dear friend and mentor of mine to the podcast, Dr. Steve Beatty. Dr. Steve Beatty is a comprehensive ophthalmologist and a prior clinical instructor at Emory University. He recently retired from clinical practice in Columbus, Georgia. Over his career, he has been a leader in global ophthalmology and was awarded the AAO Outstanding Humanitarian Award, and the Georgia Society similarly honored him for these international efforts. Although his footprints can be found around Africa and the globe, his passion and his expertise and experience is rooted in the country of Zimbabwe. He leads the nonprofit organization I Care to the Needy, supplementing the ophthalmology services in Zimbabwe through financial and equipment donations. Welcome, Steve Beatty. Thank you, Dr. Both, and thank you very much. Well, welcome, Dr. Beatty. It's so special to have you here. It's such an honor. And I'm just delighted to be sitting between you and Dr. Bothin today because I know this is going to be a special conversation. You have, we are saying, a 27-year history together, so it's very special. I'm excited to talk about it. And I just have to say, a, a few weeks ago, I was honored to be present at the Minnesota Academy of Ophthalmology where we honored Dr. Eric Bothin for his humanitarian and global efforts. And he gave such a beautiful tribute and speech about his experience and really dedicated a lot of his life mission to your mentorship, Dr. Beatty. So it's really full circle to have you here. It was so wonderful to get to hear your story, Eric. And so start at the beginning. Tell me about your relationship, your journey with ophthalmology. Like, Take us back to the beginning. Where did this all start? Well, it's a real honor to be here, to sit in with my good friend, Eric Bothan, and, and rehash old times together. We first met each other in 1997. So Eric was a fourth-year medical student at the University of Minnesota and for his wife, and you were newly married, Eric. How long have you been married when you came to um, Africa? At that point, about four or five months. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, we were at the Bush Hospital in, in northeastern Zimbabwe, and where we were serving for seven months. Eric was doing several rotations around the hospital, and he rotated with me near the end of his time there. I took him through clinical practice and uh, clinics there and into surgery, and by the end of uh, the time there, I walked him through a full cataract operation. The first and only medical student who's done a cataract operation under my tutelage. Mm -hmm. And the next day, we took the lady's patch off. And of course, she, was, she could see again, and she was singing and dancing and praising God. And very unique and a wonderful experience to see my good friend just overjoyed his, his experience there. So that's yeah. my initial encounter with Eric, and we've been friends ever since. And, and close colleagues in, in working both there in Africa and here in America, too. It was quite inspiring. We were doing general surgical work for you know months in Zimbabwe and Tanzania, and then 
to have slowly this relationship building and then this opportunity that was proposed, I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. Certainly your joy in providing service, your connection with patients, your passion for your faith and delivery of care through that, and your teaching. I mean, now I sit and teach eye care and surgical steps, but it was stepwise, learning the corneal wound, learning yeah. capsule rexus technique, and it was an extra cap technique that by the time I was at a point where he said, I think you can do an entire case at the time. It was a wonderful procedure, but the moving part, as you're saying, was the taking the patch off the next yeah. day. And for anyone listening that has an opportunity to do cataract surgery or be trained as an ophthalmologist, we all have those moments yeah. where you just, you realize you've been moved, you've been shaken with an experience that was so important and valuable in the life of another person. Yeah. And uh, that changed my career path. And ever since, I've tried to live close to his shadow. Excited about sharing a little bit today on lessons for people that are interested in practice to explore global ophthalmology, whether it's short-term or long-term, and just really a delight to have you here as as someone that's so meaningful for me. Oh, that just gives me chills. What a great story. So Steve, how did you end up in Zimbabwe before Eric got there as a medical student? What were you doing there? Well, I grew up in Zimbabwe. My parents were missionaries back in the 50s and 60s, probably before you were born. (laughs) A little bit. And I had a love for Africa. They say you can take an Africa out of Africa, but you can't take the African out of an Africa. So that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of my heart, which when I got married to my wife, I told her, we're going to go to Africa sometime. So she said, okay, I'm going. Mm -hmm. So when I finished my medical training in, in Tennessee and went into private practice, I did medical trips around the world. I went to India, Honduras, Mexico, South Africa. And Zimbabwe. And then a doctor who I shadowed as a, as a high school student, a surgeon at this Bush Hospital in Zimbabwe, called me and said, we have 250,000 people who have no eye care here. Would you be willing to come and, and spend some time with us? So we took a leave wow. of absence from practice in 90, 1997, took my whole family, and we moved there. And that's when we met Eric and his wife, Kara, uh, in, at this hospital. From there, things just unfolded. And 2000, we took I pretty much uh, left practice in America and spent four years in Zimbabwe at the city of Bulawayo, which is in the southern part of the, of the country, and started a clinical work there. Very, very, very small at first. And then about two years after I got there, started a mushroom. I, was in, I had a consulting practice. We were taking teams out into the rural areas and the villages and doing non-surgical eye cancer, but screening patients for, for cataracts and, and other surgical diseases, and then giving glasses and medications, and then bringing them into the city or to, uh, eye cancer we performed while we were there those four years. So we had our children's schools there. We pretty much were part and part of the community. And so I got to know a lot of the, the medical professionals there too, and they started lecturing there. And then I had an appointment to the, the eye hospital there as a teaching consultant. And that's kind of how the, the ball started rolling into my teaching roles there. Wow. One of the things that to me it was always been inspiring to go and serve with you and share in the efforts was just the reflection over stepping away from healthcare institutions that have so much mm-hmm. and stepping into a place with great need. Share with us a little bit about what appreciations that brings you as a physician in terms of your ability to serve, but also the dynamics and what the appreciations you have from a patient perspective observing their care and what the rewards are challenges maybe all along the mm-hmm. way too because it's a very different thing to serve in a place where you don't have the instrumentation the medication yeah. share a little bit about that perspective because for me that's been a very shaping thing in my career to learn from you along the way 
Yeah, you're right, Eric. When you first go on an international mission trip, especially to a third world situation, and you don't have everything at your fingertips that you want and need, and so now you're out of your comfort zone. And so when I counsel young doctors to, to think about international missions and, and uh, philanthropy, I really ask them, firstly, as a resident, you want to learn as much as you can from every specialty that you're involved with because you have no idea when you reach a certain place in third world and you are presented with some very difficult case that you may not be that experienced with. You're the only doctor there. Good news, you have the internet now to help, and we have colleagues. There, there are times I'll, I'll um, you know, Zoom or WhatsApp or, or FaceTime my colleagues in Georgia who have, are subspecialists to get information about things. So we have that availability now, but in the early days, we didn't have that. The textbooks were there, and, and pretty much you just went on your own and, and did your best. And the thing is, when you're in a third world situation, you have to change your whole mindset knowing that that's all they have, and the best they have is what you can give them. And so there are complications that can occur. And even though we strive for excellence in medicine, those things happen. And even though we grieve over the things that may go wrong, we have to look at a bigger picture on, on how we're delivering care in that setting, you see. Yeah, I think it would be really challenging when we're so used to having every tool at our disposal, oh, yeah. every medication, every yes. surgical option, and where you have to get creative and make do. I'm curious, besides cataracts, mm -hmm. what are kind of the general pathologies you're treating and what are the tools in your toolkit and, and what are you lacking in these types of environments? Okay, well, the city of Bulawayo, it's the second largest city in Zimbabwe. It's six hours from the capital. The capital has most subspecialties covered. Whether they're the same level of, as we have here, probably not, but it has some semblance of that. So in Bulawayo, we have no subspecialists available. Mm -hmm. So we do it all ourselves. Our biggest deficiency right now is surgical retina. Mm -hmm. I've brought in anterior segment instrumentation equipment, and I've trained several doctors, and two of the doctors now are, are doing as well in phaco surgery as I do. In fact, when I go now, I just give them all my cataracts because it, it helps their reputation, it helps their self-confidence. In fact, one of the doctors has become very well known. His practice has grown so much, he's now getting referrals from Botswana, a neighboring country. They come across the border for surgery. That's Dr. Moyo, Dr. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Dr. Fantastic. He, he trained Dr. Moyo somewhere over there. And so we have those setups that, that aren't perfect, but we've done quite well in, in having donations of equipment from companies. Alcon's been a great uh, resource, Allergan, Bosch & Lom, over the years. Again, you, you may do when you have stuff there. I, I've done some surgery on patients that, that uh, I mean, I, I thought this is not going to turn out well, and they, by God's grace, it went very well. I could give you many examples of that, of course. Uh, and certainly, we can touch on sort of the learning to how to shake the tree and donations and, and having being creative that yeah. way because you were gifted that in, in that aspect. Just before we get to that, just share with it or remind us what the landscape is of ophthalmologists in Zimbabwe. You talk about training people and what they're doing, but okay. it's 16 million people, or what's the population now? It's about 13, 14 million in the country. And how many ophthalmologists? There's, I think, 25 or 30. Yeah. And the majority are in the capital. Mm -hmm. So the southern part of the country has, has a very great lack of medical care. Most of the population live in poverty. Mm -hmm. And I can get into politics, but I won't do that here in this setting. And, but it's poor leadership that has led to 
general poverty in the nation. So you have a 95% or greater of uh, people there who are dependent upon government care at a government hospital. And those hospitals are poorly equipped. They have lack of medicines and the, the technology, which, was, which we are so used to, to get, giving good uh, care and also getting good results. I've been very grateful and fortunate to have been able to take a lot of equipment over. We've taken lasers over, OCT machines, IO masters, things that give us a greater edge in giving good results in mostly anterior segment because that's what I'm good at. And I've done lots of plastic, as I told you mm -hmm. in our previous uh, conversation. Glaucoma is a very, very huge problem there in sub-Saharan Africa. I've seen patients who come in their 40s with pressures of 40 and cupped out nerves. Wow. So we have those issues that are huge demographic issues that we are still trying to address. But I believe the standard of care has risen up a lot in the last 10 to 15 years as a result of the training and the, and the mentoring and the, and the supply of equipment and things like that to that part of the country. Certainly just understanding the scope of the patient care need and the paucity mm. of providers and the limitations of equipment support and medication support can might seem daunting to people. But I'm struck by the joy you have going mm. to work every day when you're there and fed off that myself. There's a particular upliftedness to meeting people in great need, even if you don't have a lot yeah. of being there. Just talk about what fuels you in a busy day where you don't have everything you want and you realize there's more patients sitting in that lobby or under a tree waiting to get into the, yeah. your clinic. Just share with that because those are the joys that get, have got you going back year yeah. after year, month after month to help supply what you and teach what you've done. Yeah, that's a big question to answer. For all of us, the joy of our specialty, ophthalmology, is to, to restore patients, people's eyesight. What a great privilege we have, both in this country and abroad. Of course, in abroad, we have, we have end-stage diseases. Patients are walking with bilateral light perception cataracts, for example. I remember very clearly one time at, a, at an eye camp in the city of Victoria Falls, which you accompanied with one time, Eric. There were three men who were blind in both eyes, and we did surgery, and of course, they could see the next day. And one of them pointed out to me and says, he's a god. And I said, no, no, I'm not a god. I've got God's spirit in me. I'm not a god here, okay? And that's the example of what, what we see. I had a lady one time, I was in surgery, and, and I was starting the case. And the uh, nurse said, you see this lady here? I said, yes, what about her? He, she said, she's been blind for 27 years. And I said, 27 years? What has she missed in her life? I said, find out more about her for me, if you would. So later that day, he came to me and said, she, he's never seen 18 or 20 grandchildren. Mm -hmm. She uh, has to use a, uh, take a, one of her grandchildren, go out in the, into the uh, forest to use the toilet, and it's very demeaning for her. They steal food off her plate. And I thought, what's it going to be like tomorrow morning when I take that patch off? Next week, he took the patch off, and I could see her singing and dancing. She was speaking a language I didn't understand. And so I asked the nurse, what did she say? She says, well, now I can see... I'm going to go find those people who owe me money. I'll get my money back now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's culture, of course. Yeah. That's so yeah. fun. Yeah, I, I mentioned <clears throat> at the MAO event last week that I think that some of these service trips bring and bring out what we love about the most about medicine and, and have a little bit less of what we don't. Yeah. Meaning yeah. you don't have as much worry about the chart and billing. And even though there's components of that, but certainly the humanitarian, mm -hmm. faith-based, service-based, Whatever, depending on the setting you're serving in, the connection with people in great need and being able to bring hope and restoration of quality of life is 
magnified yeah. in, in some of these settings. Well, the, the, you know, the purest form of medicine is to, to give it with no strings attached. There's no payment given, and you give it just out of your heart. I mean, you know, the greatest joy in my life is the joy of giving. And we have that in international missions and international philanthropy and, and surgery. And also the joy of training others, empowering them, encouraging them. And as I was tell, talking to you a while ago, Eric, you know, knowledge is power. And power, then I can use that as control. So when we go and give of our knowledge, we're giving power to empowering other people. And so I've seen that time and time again when I empower these doctors. And by the way, in that culture that I go to in Africa, you hold on to power. You don't want to release it. And so it's just a paradigm shift. It's just a totally different way of them looking at it. And they, of course, they first look at us with suspicion. Why are these people doing this? There must be some other ulterior motive. But over the years, the barriers get broken down. And now you have deep friendships and collegial relationships, et cetera. Yeah, that's really wonderful. What a joy and a privilege. I want to get a, a little bit granular because I take all this from the young ophthalmology, from the yo side of things. <laughs> I think that there's such a passion for global and international work from our incoming residents, all of our medical students. So many people are inspired by work that they've been able to do overseas. And then it gets hard, right? You get out of training, mm. you get your first job, you have kids, you have a family. And I think it's a challenge for people to find a way to make it work. So help us share some of the mentorship that you give others when they're interested in getting involved in international work on a real granular level. How do you do it? How do you make it work with your practice? How do you find an opportunity that'll be right for you? What tools do you need? Great question. Firstly, in training, it's so important in training to look for opportunities to do some international work. I imagine that you all in this program have that opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. And then, of course, you know, link up with, with doctors who do that, even in training. It starts off small. You're not going to do what I'm doing in a couple of years. It takes years and years of going back and, and going to the same place and developing a legacy. So you start off small. Then when you go into practice... You want to have like-minded physicians and partners and colleagues who buy into the concept and buy into the idea of international work. And there's great benefits to that. There's a benefit of expansion of your, your horizons in culture, in uh, travel and experience. And as your fellow doctors buy into that, then you, you have to look at the logistical issues such as financial issues and call and productivity and things. And you can do that. In my practice in Georgia, we finally came to agreement. It was the productivity side that was important. How much time you take off was linked to productivity. Mm-hmm. So I took off a lot of time. But of course, when I came back to the practice side, I worked overtime to, to make up for those things. That's, that's an example of what we did in my practice. There's so many, many avenues now. You have Orbis, you've got Sea International, you have mission hospitals throughout the world. I know a number of in, in Africa. There's Karanda Hospital in Zimbabwe. There's Timbuk Hospital in Kenya, run by a good friend of mine uh, from UAB. And so there's those opportunities. You can go short-term first, get your feet wet. There are those who go once and they think, you know, this is not for me. Their responsibility now is to do charitable work at home. Mm-hmm. It starts at home. Then if you have a charitable attitude and an attitude of wanting to help people who need here in America, it translates onto to international charity and philanthropy too. I hope that answers some of your questions. That's very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the other barriers you brought up is family. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I think sometimes yeah. people are hesitant to know if it's okay to take a spouse 
or even their children in some of these settings, they may be prepared to say, I'm willing to take two weeks and go to Tenwick or in yeah. Tanzania, but I'm not sure about what my spouse is supposed to do, mm-hmm. who may be an elementary school teacher or an engineer. Yeah. Share with us on what barriers or opportunities you see in people wanting to serve <laughs> in some of these settings with mm. and not wanting to leave home and leave their spouse or their family at home yeah. alone. Well, for me personally, it was a family affair. My children were, uh, the oldest was 11, and then nine and six when we first went to Africa as a family. Now, I did go one other time about a week after my son was born, and that may have been a marital issue that I should have not done that. <laughs> but uh, we had a, a very wonderful uh, makeup time after that was over. <laughs> that was 1991, I went for three weeks. So I think when you have young children, there may be opportunities, but I think they'll be short-term, and you may not be able to take your family. Yeah. Because little children have no concept of those issues and, and the benefits they will gain of international travel and also international exposure. Once they reach a certain age, it does great benefit to take them overseas and let them spend time in places where it's, there are people who have nothing. They get a, good appreci- a new appreciation of what they have here in America and a new understanding of, of the joys and benefits of living in a country like this. You know, we live in a nation that, that has so much, and I, I want to encourage those who go overseas to remember we, we represent our nation. And so we want to practice the excellence in medicine and excellence in behavior, moral behavior and, and character when we, when we go to these places overseas to uh, be examples of what's good in our country. I hope that answers the question yeah. you had. Yeah. It sounds like most of these trips you get the most out of when they're at least two weeks? We're not talking a few days or, or even a week. Well, you can go to places that aren't so far away as Africa. Mm. I have a good friend who uh, takes teams to Jamaica, for example, and you'll go for a week and do surgery, seeing patients, and you do some great good. And they've been going for 30 years, so this is an ongoing, long-term relationship with a the hospital there. So you can find those opportunities and, and do a great job and, and be of just great service and benefit to the population there. I think to train and to mentor does take longer. Uh, and, and it also takes a time of sacrifice of, of over the years going to the same place and make, get building those relationships that are so important. I think that's such a good point to return to the same place and continue to yeah. grow and foster those relationships yeah. over the years. Yeah. That's that, my model. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And I feel like you don't hear about that, at least from a resident standpoint or thinking about it as a, as a trainee. You go somewhere once for the experience. You hope that you've contributed. But going back and building those relationships, that's huge, that's such a good point. When I was a resident, we went on a mission trip to Mexico, and my mentality was, I want to do as much surgery as I can, surgery as I can so yeah. I, can just, I can come back and say, I did this many operations, okay? Exactly. That's the mentality of a resident, okay? Yes. But hopefully you translate from that to more of a relational type of, uh, of situation, yeah. Yeah. Expectations are a big part of these trips. Any cautions or pitfalls or concerns you have for people, volunteers that come and may leave either disappointed or disgruntled about certain aspects of service, what are the common reasons why, whether it's those come up, whether it's in disappointment or in burnout on, in, for people in service? Well, firstly, I think your expectations have to be realistic. And I think the best is, is not to expect anything. That's the first thing. We as Americans want to help so much, but we sometimes we can come across in the foreign setting as being somewhat arrogant. 
We have to understand we go, travel to a different country and we also interact with our colleagues overseas. There's some suspicion. There's also an element of, I use the word jealousy, but, but more than that, you're taking away from some of their practice. You understand that. Their livelihood, you may be taking away from that. And also, their reputation in the community may be tarnished by these American doctors coming to do all this surgery. You have to be careful. So you want to walk in with humility to these places and asking questions and asking them how would they do something under this circumstance and let them take the lead many times on things. I've learned that by experience and, and I've made many mistakes along that realm as far as pitfalls are concerned. And go slowly. You know, I think aid needs to be trickled. Sometimes we have to be careful about giving in the sense that there, it creates a dependency issue. You know, sometimes they may lose their self-confidence and self-esteem by being given so much. So you have to be very careful on those issues. And, and there's actually a good book written, it says, When Aid Hurts. That's a really good um, synopsis of that issue. I, I know that's been a big part of you know, your drive and being careful and slow and building relationships, especially through the teaching. And now, you know, I greatly appreciate how there once was a day where mm -hmm. so much of the care was on your shoulders. And, and when I would go and help with you and over the years, just see that transition to your training up and now going and be able to watch and continue to teach while they're doing the care more themselves. And just the fruit of that labor is, is evident through that longevity and investing in them. Well, longevity is important. And I realized it was at one point in time that I cannot take care of all these people. There's several million people, and I'm one person. And I've been in eye camps with Dr. Both, and we, there's hundreds of patients out waiting for us, and we can never see them all. Because the longer you're there, you'll be there till midnight, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., they keep coming. So that's the first mental change I had in terms of my, my way of looking at these things. So the next step was to find how to try and multiply the skills that I had. And so that happened when I started. I found several doctors who were enthusiastic, Dr. Moyo, Dr. Malimani, two doctors who I work with now. They were enthusiastic, they were wanting to learn, they were willing to learn. They just took off. And these two guys, after several years of training, they're now independent, they're doing great surgery, they're teaching others. They taught two other doctors anterior segment surgery who are now teaching another two. So the, the uh, training goes on and, and to the next generation, which, which we want. Because someday I won't be there. We'll, my, my work there will cease, but I want to leave a legacy of, of, a, of a program that continues on without me being there. Right, exactly. That's a great legacy to leave. I'm really struck by some of the earlier points that you made about some of these pitfalls because I think it would be so easy to go somewhere with the best of intentions yeah. and then end up having a really negative experience that you didn't even anticipate or yeah. you didn't know that you've somehow crossed some line or, or offended someone unwittingly, you know? Yeah. Wow, I, I didn't even consider that. It seems like it would be better to go somewhere that has something previously established or, or go somewhere with someone who already knows some of the kind of local customs or, or is familiar with some of the local docs. So maybe if you're getting into some kind of mission work, go yeah. somewhere that's already slightly established. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly because as you go and under an organization or individual or, or someone who's there in the hospital, for example, if I'm there and I bring a young doctor to join me, they can watch, they can learn mm -hmm. the customs the way we treat our local colleagues, the way we go about seeing patients. Because the dignity of people, they're all the same. We need to treat patients just the same, whether it's here or somewhere else. 
you know, local customs and cultures are very different to ours sometimes. And, and so we walk in and may say something or do something that's offensive, not even realizing it. So by going in under tutelage of someone who's already there is, mm -hmm. I think, is so important, especially for a young ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. It is. I see this as such a valuable aspect for your career. I'm sure it enriches your life and your career so much more. You get way more out of it than what you're giving. We've, we do. Eric and I have talked about burnout and the kind of grind here day to day, and I think this just is so restorative hearing you speak about it. Now, the cure it for is. burnout is to go overseas. Yeah, That's yeah I agree. It really it's, is. You know, you, for many of us, it means using our vacation time to do some of these activities, but you come back refreshed. You yeah. come back appreciating healthcare here in different glasses and yeah, new perspective. Exactly. You've seen something that's different than just going to the lake and cruising around on your boat in yeah. a way that you know blesses you as a physician back home. Yeah. It's nice also to know that you know here at Mayo we continue to give priority and learn to equip. You're know, going back to the earlier comment of the next generation of physicians yeah. to get out and go yes. in their training. Now it's phenomenal how so many institutions are developing global ophthalmology programs. So they finish residency, and you can do a fellowship in global ophthalmology and have dedicated sites around the world. To invest in another thing for listeners, there's you know global ophthalmology you now op conferences you can attend yeah. yep. that uh, will equip in understanding, equip in relationships, meet and greet, um, and just learn yeah. opportunities. There's so, one in, in Atlanta. Yes, coming up with Emory University in, in September. Yeah, which I would encourage those who want to do this yeah. to go to. Yeah. So yeah, there's uh, there's so many resources we have now that we didn't have 20, 25 years ago, and also I think leadership in ophthalmology has now realized that. Global ophthalmology is, we're a global healthcare system now. And so some of the best new techniques coming out of India, as you all know, mm -hmm. that's an example of, of, of those countries have gone ahead. And so we need each other. And by realizing that, I think leadership has also kind of taken the baton and, and has gone with it too. Yeah. The best training is just go with this guy, but at the same point, no, there's so much more. Exactly. All right, well, Steve, it has been a joy wow. to just sit and unpack and, and just pull from you your wisdom and perspective, and as I've gotten to do over the years, and you've been able to share. So I just thank you for being with us in thank this you, podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Bolton. Thank you so much. Honor been, it's been an honor to be here. It really has. Well, the honor is ours. We've learned so much. We'll thank see you on the other side again soon. Thank you. You can find all episodes of the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on our website. Thank you for listening, and we definitely look forward to sharing more 